Well, happy Easter, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for all of you who are watching online. And we have a ton of people as well in the Faith Center and also in our Honeywell venue right across over here. So we're so glad that you're here today to celebrate Easter with us. You know, I wanted to begin by telling you about something very interesting that happened to me not that long ago. It was actually the fall of 2020 when I was contacted on Facebook Messenger by a Japanese lady. Uh, I'll call her Yuki, that's not her real name. But she reached out to me and I didn't know who she was. I thought maybe she was somebody that I had met on a trip to Japan at one of the Japanese churches I visited, but that was not the case. She told me that she was a Christian and that she was a nurse at a hospital in London. In fact, her Facebook page actually named the hospital. She told me that she was a widow and that her husband had died in a terrible car accident and that he worked for the State Department. She also told me that he left her millions of dollars. She told me the exact amount. And now she was dying of cancer. And she told, her, she told me that the doctors told her that she had only two months to live. And because she didn't have any family in London and, and she didn't have any family in Japan, she said she'd been searching online to find someone that she could leave her money to. And she found little old me. She was very specific in her communication with me about what she wanted me to do with the money. She said she wanted 60% of it to be given away to charity. And then she said I could keep the rest, the 40%. Well, I immediately thought of which charity I would give the funds to, and that would be the Gary Shiohama GoFundMe page. <laughs> In all seriousness, I thanked her. I messaged her a prayer, prayed for her cancer and her illness, and I encouraged her to find someone else because she didn't know me and I didn't really know her, but she still insisted on giving me the funds. And she said that if I agreed to accept her offer, she would contact her lawyer who would then make all the arrangements. You know, I honestly didn't know what to think about what she was asking and she didn't ask anything of me. She didn't say, in order for this to happen, you gotta come to London and you've gotta give me a, a deposit for this or that and pay for these expenses, nothing like that. She just wanted to give me the funds. Now, if she was telling the truth, then I knew I needed to act pretty quickly. I needed to decide rather quickly whether I was gonna accept her offer or not because, because her health uh, was not good. And that was the real question. Was she telling the truth? Was she telling me the truth? Or was this some kind of an elaborate scheme? Well, today, we've come to celebrate uh, an event that took place 2,000 years ago, the resurrection of Christ. And we can't help but ask and wonder whether or not this really happened. And some of you are probably thinking, what does something that happened 2,000 years ago have to do with me? How does, it even, how does it even matter to me? And you might be a young person or you might be an old person or somebody in between. And you think that something that happened 2,000 years ago has absolutely no relevance. Well, I disagree. I believe it behooves us to ask the very first question, and that is, was the resurrection of Jesus for real 
did it really happen or was it a hoax? Because if it was true, if it really happened, then, and Jesus rose from the dead, then the ramifications of that couldn't be greater. They're, they're, they're far-reaching. But if it was fake news, if it was fake news, then, then we can all stop wasting our lives believing it, and we could have our dessert and go home. We can end it right now. So which is it? Well, with regards to Yuki, the first question that I had to wrestle down was, was she real? Was she a real person? Was she a real person or was I communicating with someone who was a hacker pretending to be her? I didn't know. And that's what I had to figure out before I accepted her offer. And that's the very first question that we've got to ask ourselves. Was Jesus real? Did he exist? So let's dive in. Let's figure that out. And then we can go figure out what the resurrection was all about. So let me pray first, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you so much. Boy, Lord, we, we come to you today believing that Easter really took place and that Jesus was a real person. But I pray that you would speak to us today, that you would bring us more clarity today. For those of us who believe already, that it might strengthen our faith. faith. For those of us, for those here who may not believe, that it would be so clear, it would be so apparent that we can't help but believe and, and, and devote our lives to you. So God, either way, I pray that you would speak to us and that you would make it clear to us who you, who you were, who your son was, and what he did for us. So thank you, Father, and I ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. The best evidence that, on whether or not Jesus was real or not comes from four men who were eyewitnesses to what, they, what he said and what Jesus did. One of those four men was a guy named John. In 1920, this man, an Egyptologist named Bernard Grenfell, purchased on the Egyptian antiquities market this fragment of a papyrus codex. A papyrus codex is a papyrus book as opposed to an, a, a papyrus scroll. Right? And he bought this on the antiquities market. And there was Greek writing on the front. And this is the front of the fragment. And there was also Greek writing on the back. Well, after he bought this fragment, he had to figure out what it said. So he gave it to a bunch of experts, papyrologists. And he said, figure this out. So they had the painstaking job of trying to decipher what it said, where the fragment came from. And who it was written by. Well, it was finally determined that it was part of a manuscript written by John. In fact, this is the manuscript right here. And the part that is in yellow, highlighted in yellow, is the part portion that was actually on that fragment. And they were able to place that fragment over the manuscript and say, oh, this is where it came from. And translated into English, here, here's what it said. Uh, the Jews, for us, it is not permitted to kill anyone so that the word of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying what kind of death he was going to die. Entered, therefore, again into the praetorium, Pilate, and summoned Jesus and said to him, Thou art king of the Jews. Again, the part in yellow is what was on the fragment, and this fits right over the manuscript. This was an exact match of John 18, verse 31 and 33 in your Bible. 
And by the way, in the Greek, this is a literal translation of the Greek, and you can tell by the reading of it that the Greek is always rough, and our English translation kind of smooths all that out. And so if you were to read your Bible, John 18, 31 through 33, it would, would be a little smoother than what you just read here because this is a literal translation. Here's the manuscript uh, on, that was on the back, all right? And again, overlaid on this, the part in yellow is that is highlighted is what was on the fragment on the back. Translated into English, here's what it said. The Jews, for us it is not permitted to kill, I'm sorry, it says, a king I am, for this I have been born, for this I have come into the world so that I would testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears of me my voice, said to him, Pilate, what is truth? And this having said, again, he went out unto the Jews and said to them, I find not one fault in him. Again, it's rough because it's a literal translation of the Greek. Smooth it out. And what you have, this is an exact match of John 18, verse 37 through 38. What Grenfell discovered here was stunning because it was a record of the conversation that the Roman governor Pilate had with Jesus hours before he was crucified. And here's the important part. The fragment from the writings of John confirmed that Jesus was a real person. He was a real person. And if you're interested, you can go to the John Rylands uh, University Library in Manchester, England, and you can actually see it for yourself. This is what it looks like on display there. And this is just one example that proved that Jesus was a real person who walked the face of the earth 2,000 years ago. He wasn't the only one as well. He wasn't the only one who wrote about Jesus. So did three other men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then, of course, John. And we refer to the writings of these four men as the Gospels, and they are part of our Bible today. Now, you might be interested to know that between these four men, more than 2,000 manuscripts of their writings have been discovered over the centuries. 2,000 manuscripts, some are fragments, some are whole manuscripts, and they can be seen in various muse museums and libraries around the world. Now, compare that to the number of manuscripts of Homer's Iliad, which numbers around 643, or the number of manuscripts that have been found for Plato's work, which numbers 250, or the number of manuscripts discovered for Aristotle's work, which numbers 49, and then the number of manuscripts found for the works of Socrates, which is zero. In other words, there is zero physical evidence that Socrates existed, yet there probably isn't a one of us who doesn't believe that Socrates was a real person at one time. The biblical evidence, in other words, that Jesus existed is overwhelming. It is overwhelming, and it doesn't end there because there are also dozens of non-biblical resources as well that point to the existence of Jesus. We looked at the biblical ones. Then there are non-biblical ones. For example, in 73 AD, which would have been about 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead, a Stoic Syrian philosopher named Mara wrote a letter to his son, uh, Seraphian, in which he referenced the crucifixion of Christ. 
And he called Jesus the king of the Jews. This is a Stoic Syrian philosopher. And this is believed to be one of the first non-biblical references to Jesus. And his letter is preserved at the British Library, which is the National Library of the UK. Four years after the resurrection, Flavius Josephus was born, came into the world, born into an aristocratic family in Jerusalem. And they were very devout Jews. In fact, he went on to become a Pharisee. And you might remember the encounters that Jesus had with the Pharisees. Josephus also went on to become uh, the Jews, probably the greatest uh, historian that ever lived. And his greatest work was something called the Antiquities of the Jews, a history of the Jews from the very beginning until the Roman uh, rebellion in 66 AD. And when he came to writing the chapter on Jesus, here's what Josephus wrote. He wrote, about this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man, for he was one who performed surprising deeds and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He went over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Christ and went upon the accusation of the principal men among us. Pilate had condemned him to a cross. Those who had first come to love him did not cease. He appeared to them, spending a third day restored to life, for the prophets of God had foretold these things and a thousand other marvels about him. And the tribe of the Christians, so called after him, was still to this day not disappeared, unquote. You know, what's remarkable about this commentary is that Josephus wasn't even a Christ follower. He wasn't even a Christian. And yet he wrote this about Jesus. In the second century, another historian his name was Sextus Julius Africanus. Wrote this about Jesus. This second century, that would have been about 200 AD. He wrote concerning each of his deeds and his, and his cures, both of bodies and souls, and the secrets of his knowledge and his resurrection from the dead. This has been explained with complete adequacy by his disciples and the apostles before us. And he also went on to write this about what happened on the day that Christ was crucified. He wrote, a most terrible darkness fell over all the world. The rocks were torn apart by an earthquake and the many places both in Judea and the rest of the world were thrown down. And again, these writings confirm that Jesus was a real person. And uh, there's so many more examples of that. I w if I had another hour, I can give you so many more, but these are just a couple. And I also wanna just give you a couple of contemporary examples that point to the existence of Jesus. Just this week, I preparation for this message, I Googled the name Jesus. You ought to try it. I Googled the name Jesus, and do you know how many hits I got? I got 1.8 billion hits just on the name Jesus. And I submit it's not possible. It's not possible to get that many hits for someone who didn't exist. You're not going to get that many hits for Tinkerbell or Porky the Pig because they're not real people, right? But Jesus was a real people. That's why there's so many hits on it. And at the very top, uh, was Wikipedia. And I read that entire post by Wikipedia and the, the, the quote that stood out to me on their page was this, virtually all modern scholars of antiquity agree that Jesus existed historically. He was a real person. Here's another example, contemporary example that comes from the History Channel. This is not... Uh, this is not the Christian Broadcasting Network. This is the History Channel. They aired an eight-episode miniseries on the life of Jesus. They wouldn't have aired a show 
like this about Jesus if he wasn't a real person. They wouldn't do an eight-episode series on Snow White because she was not a real person. And over the years, the National Geographic has devoted several issues to the life of Jesus, including these three right here, the real Jesus, the story of Jesus, and Jesus in illustrative life. And again, they would not have gone out on a limb to write these about Jesus if he was not a real person. And so the empirical and anecdotal evidence for the existence of Jesus is staggering even among those in the secular media, which brings me back to Yuki. Was she a real person? Was she a real person? Well, after our conversation on Facebook Messenger, after it it ended, I began to scour um, research information online to try to determine whether or not she was a real person. Uh, All I had was her message, our text messages, and and I read them, and uh, I I read it very carefully over and over again for any clues. And one of the things I noticed was that she spoke and she wrote in very imperfect English as somebody a foreigner might. I mean, it, you know, if I were to try to speak in Japanese, they would, a Japanese person would know immediately that I was not from Japan because I would speak in very broken Japanese. Well, she spoke in very broken English. And then I Googled her name. I Googled her name. I Googled her de- deceased husband's name because she gave me this, his name. I looked for any articles about his accident. I looked for his, I searched for his obituary. I checked for any record of his employment with the State Department. I even called the London Hospital where her Facebook account said she worked to determine if in fact she worked there. I reached out to a few of her Facebook friends. I searched for any records of her existence because I needed proof that she was real before I decided to accept her offer. Well, guess what I found? I found out that there is a person, there was a person named Yuki. What I didn't know was whether or not the person I was communicating with was her. I didn't know if that was her. In other words, I didn't know if she was legit. Was she legit? Well, in the same way, we've got to figure out whether Jesus was legit. We know he existed, but was he legit? In other words, was he who he said he was? Was he God in human flesh? And that's where Easter comes in. If, it was, if he really rose from the dead, if Jesus was really resurrected, then we have to conclude that he was legit because no one comes back from the dead. It just doesn't happen, right? So what's the evidence that Jesus was raised from the dead? Well, Dr. David Jeremiah, Jeremiah likes to tell the story of a Sunday school teacher who met with her class on Palm Sunday, that would be the weekend before Easter, and she gave everyone a plastic egg. And she said, okay, children, what I want you to do is I want you to take your plastic egg, and when you come back to church next week on Easter Sunday, I want you to put in your egg something about Easter. Put something in there that represents Easter. So Easter Sunday came, And the children were excited to go to church and they brought their little eggs. And then they sat around the table and each one of them opened their eggs one at a time. Well, the first little girl opened her egg and inside of it was a little flower. And she said, well, the reason why I put a flower in there is because a flower is so pretty and it it represents new life and new beginnings and rebirth. And I love flowers and it represents hope. And the teacher nodded and said, oh, that's really good. Well, the second child 
opened her egg. And inside of it was a folded piece of paper. And she unfolded the piece of paper. And on that paper was a picture of Jesus that she drew with some crayons. And she said, I wanted to draw a picture of Jesus and put him in my egg because I think Easter is all about Jesus. And the teacher nodded approvingly. And then the third child, he opened his egg. And inside of his egg was a nail, a small little nail. And he said, I chose a nail to put inside my egg because Jesus was crucified and nails were put into his hands and his feet. And the teacher said, oh, that's really good. And then the fourth child, another boy, opened his egg and inside of his egg was a rock. And he says, I put a rock inside my egg because a big rock was placed in front of Jesus' tomb. And then it was rolled away so that he could come out. And then the fifth child opened her egg and inside was a little communion packet, kind of like the ones that we use here at our church. And he said, I chose a communion packet because the grape juice represents blood and Jesus' blood was shed for us and the little cracker represents his body and his body was broken for us. And the teacher gave hearty approval. And then the sixth child opened up her egg and inside of it was a small little cloth that she unfolded and she said, I put a cloth in there because Jesus' body after he died, it was wrapped with a burial cloth and then he was put inside the tomb and so that little cloth represents his death. And the teacher noddingly approved. Finally, the little boy, the last boy, he got his egg and he opened it up and the teacher noticed that there was nothing in it. And she said, well, there's nothing in it. He said, that's right. I didn't put anything in it because Easter is all about an empty grave because he rose from the dead and he's not there. And thus, the proof that Jesus rose from the dead is an empty grave. It is an empty tomb. And here's how it is described for us in the Gospels. Take a look at Mark 16, starting in verse 1. It says, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Let me stop right there. When the Sabbath came to an end, you know, the Sabbath was their day of rest, the Jewish day of rest. And by the way, when we were in Israel in 2019, when the Sabbath day came, we were told we needed to hurry up and get back into our hotel rooms, although we didn't celebrate the Sabbath or observe the Sabbath like the Jews did. But we went outside and the streets were empty. There wasn't a car on there. There wasn't anybody walking around because even in Israel today, they observed the Sabbath. Well, when the Sabbath came to an end back 2,000 years ago, a group of women went to the market and they bought some spices. And they went to the tomb to anoint Jesus, his body, with spices. And the spices would be used to offset the stench of decay. And as they were walking to the tomb, this says, they wondered who would roll away the stone. Now, by the way, a tomb back then was a cave-like structure cut into rock. That's how the Jews would bury their dead. They, they didn't bury them, the body in the ground like we did. They would wrap the body uh, in a burial cloth and then lay it in a tomb. And the tomb might have looked exactly like this. In fact, I believe this may be the actual tomb 
that Jesus was buried in. I believe it was two or three Easter's ago, I did a whole message on this. And uh, we had a chance to visit this. In fact, if you go with, to Israel with us in November, we'll be, you'll have an opportunity to go and take a look at this tomb. And I laid out why I believe this is the actual tomb. It's probably cleaned up quite a bit since, since it was uh, used 2,000 years ago. But uh, this is what it might have looked like. And then uh, here's a stone that was used to cover the tomb. And it might have looked like this. And this actual stone, I took a picture, I took this photo, was actually laying right next to the tomb, the door of the tomb. And as you can see, it was not, I always thought the stone was a huge boulder that you had to push this way, but it was actually all carved out and it's made to roll, as you can see. And so the women were wondering who was gonna roll away the stone. Well, take a look at what happened. Verse, verse four, Mark 16, verse four. And looking up, when they got to the tomb, looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen and he is not here. See the place where they laid him. All right, so they get to the tomb. The stone has been rolled away. The young, they go inside the tomb. They look, and on the right side of the tomb, they see a young man sitting there in white. Well, he wasn't a young man. This was an angel. And the angel told them, and here's how it's described, told them that Jesus had risen. Here's how Luke described the scene, Luke 24, verse 2 and 3. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The tomb was empty. He was not there. And when our group walked into that tomb, we actually got to walk into that tomb, we saw it with our very own eyes for the very first time in 2019. It was still empty. And there was still no body there. And this is what it looked like on the inside. And this is on the right side of the tomb. When we walked in, this was on the immediate right. The empty tomb sets Jesus apart from every other religious leader that has ever lived, like Confucius and Mohammed and Buddha. You know, when Confucius died in 479 BC, he was buried in the Shangdong province in China. In fact, this is his grave right here. In fact, UNESCO declared this to be a world heritage site, the grave site of Confucius. When the prophet Mohammed died in Medina in 632 AD, he was buried under this green dome in the mosque of the prophet in Medina, Saudi Arabia. In fact, his grave is visited by millions of Muslims every year when they go to Mecca. They always make a side trip to Medina to honor the prophet Muhammad. When Buddha died in 483 BC, his body was cremated on a pyre of sandalwood in Kushinagar, India, and legend has it that his ashes were gathered and then separated into eight parts, placed in eight different urns and given to eight different followers, including a couple of kings, who then put those ashes in these giant pagodas. Apparently, according to legend, some of his followers were there and they picked through the ashes and they found some of his teeth. And they took his teeth and it is reportedly 
uh, can be found, it can be reportedly found in some temples around the world, like this one right here. This is the Lingguang Temple in Beijing, and apparently one of Buddha's uh, teeth is right is found there. One of his tooth, I guess, is found there. Another one is kept at the Foguang Shan Buddhist Museum in Taiwan. It's a massive structure. Another one at the Engakuji Temple in Kamakura, Japan. And there's even a Buddhist temple right here in Southern California called the Lu Mountain Temple in Rosemead. And some of you live in Rosemead. And apparently they have one of his teeth and they also have a strand of hair, they say, that belongs to Buddha. And the point is, when Confucius and Muhammad and Buddha died, they really died. And that was the end of them. But when Jesus died, he was raised from the dead three days later, and his tomb is empty. And so that's the first proof of his resurrection, an empty tomb. This is Addie Mae Collins. Take a look at this picture. She attended Hill Elementary School in Birmingham, Alabama. She attended the 16th Street Baptist Church in that city. On Sunday morning, September the 15th, 1963, four members of the Ku Klux Klan, haters, tunneled under her church and placed 19 sticks of dynamite at the base of the church attached to a timing device. And at approximately 10.24 a.m. that morning while church was going on, they detonated those bombs, killing four children, including 14-year-old Addie Mae. For years, her family would visit her grave at a rundown cemetery in Birmingham. That's where she was buried. Finally, in 1998, and again, she died in 1963, finally in 1998, the family decided to have her body removed and, and taken to another cemetery that was a lot in better shape. And so they ordered the exhumation of her body. When workers dug up her grave, you know what they found? Nothing. It was empty. There was no casket and there was no body. And the family freaked out. They became frantic. They, they were distraught. Where's our daughter? Where's her body? Where's the casket? And, and not even the cemetery knew what happened to it. And so they began a desperate search for her casket and body. And they didn't know what to do. When Jesus' followers found his tomb empty, they didn't freak out. They didn't become distraught because almost immediately he began appearing to them in person. For example, his first appearance was to Mary Magdalene uh, on that very first Easter morning. And we find that in Mark chapter 16, verse 9. In fact, let me read that to you. Mark 16, 9 says, Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, when Jesus rose, he appeared first, first appearance, right, to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Second appearance, other women, according to Matthew 28, 9, including the other Mary. Third appearance to two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he appeared to Cleopas. We don't know who the other disciple was. It doesn't tell us in Luke 24, verse 13. Fourth appearance was to Peter in Jerusalem, Luke 24, verse 34. Fifth appearance was to James in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7. Sixth appearance was 
to his 12 disciples without Thomas there in Luke 24, verse 36. Seventh appearance was the 12 disciples again, this time with Thomas in John 20, verse 26. His eighth appearance was to more than 500 of his followers, more than 500, according to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6. In fact, let me read it to you. It says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, there's another one, appeared to Cephas, and then to the 12, there's the disciples again, verse six, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, some have died. First Corinthians was probably written around 50 or 60 A.D., which means that when Paul wrote this 20, 30 years after the resurrection, some of those eyewitnesses were still alive and they were still talking about it. Yeah, I remember, I'll never forget the time I saw Jesus. I'll never forget the time he, he showed up and we saw him and we talked to him and, and there's so much proof of that. The ninth appearance was to the 11 disciples on the mountain of Galilee, Matthew 28, verse 16. And finally, the last one, number 10, he appeared to Saul. Who, was, uh, who became Paul. This was on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9, verse 3 through 5. Here's how Peter summed up all of these appearances by Jesus in Acts 2, verse 32. He said, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. In other words, we have seen him with our very own eyes. We've seen him with our very own eyes. You see, the second proof of the resurrection were all the eyewitnesses who saw him raised from the dead. And by the way, you may want to know about this. The last story that I could find about Addie Mae Collins was dated May 2017. I couldn't find any after that. May, 20, May 2017, that's when ABC News in Birmingham reported that the cemetery claimed to have found her casket which was buried elsewhere in the cemetery without a marker. In other words, she was exhumed, supposedly was supposed to have been exhumed in 1998. It wasn't until 2017 they, they said they found her body. In other words, it took them nearly 20 years to find her casket, and then she was reburied. You know, you can look for 20 years, you can look for 200 years, you can look for 2,000 years for Jesus' body and you will never find it because it's not there. He's not there. He has been, he has been risen. Well, finally, the third proof of Jesus' resurrection uh, is, is found in the hundreds of millions of people who have been changed by him. For example, those who followed him were convinced that he was who he said he was and he did what he did and they were so convinced that they were willing to die for him and many did. You might remember not too long after the resurrection, it was Emperor Nero of Rome who went out and massacred Christians by the dozens, by the hundreds, killing them be simply because of their faith. We see the proof of the resurrection in the millions of people whose lives have been changed by Christ. Next week, if you come back, you're gonna hear from Johnny Chang. I watched his testimony. It's been on, um, online for just a short time, and it's already at five million views. His, his testimony has gone viral. And we'll have an you'll have an opportunity to hear him. Don't miss this. I mean, it is just absolutely riveting what this guy has been through, been in prison and been charged with all these crimes, and it, it's just amazing. But God has changed so many lives. 
And then the resurrection has changed the lives of millions of people simply because it has given us hope in the midst of living in a broken and messed up world. It has given us hope in our suffering. And I know that it has given me hope to get through this world. You might remember the Old Testament character Job. Few people suffered like Job. And here's what Job said in Job 19, verse 26. Fascinating verse here. Fascinating. He said, and after my skin has been destroyed, what he's talking about was after I'm dead, right? After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I shall see God. And this verse suggests that Job believed in the resurrection. He believed in his resurrection, that one day after he died, he would see God. Which, by the way, is promised for us in the Bible because of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 6, 14 says, and God raised the Lord, and God raised the Lord Jesus and will also raise us up by his power. Because Jesus was raised, we will be raised. I will be raised. And, I, and this one simple fact has given millions of people hope, and it has given me hope. This will likely be the last Easter message I give at this church because I will be pa passing the baton on to Pastor Greg on July 1st. And I can't even begin to tell you what a blessing it has been uh, to be here to speak to you about Easter for the last 30 years, what a blessing it's been for me and my family. Uh, but it hasn't been without its bumps and bruises because I'm constantly reminded on a daily basis of the broken, painful, messed up world that we live in. And that's why the resurrection means so much to me because in the midst of a broken, messed up world, it gives me so much hope to know that this is not all that there is, that something better is coming, that one day we'll be out of this place. You know, just, for example, just yesterday, uh, about two hours um, before our five o'clock service was to start, um, we had to put our dog Carmel to sleep. And um, <clears throat> that was very painful because we didn't see it coming. He just had not been well this last week. And we took him in. We just, we just thought, okay, give him some meds and he'll be fine. But it turned out that he was uh, seriously ill. He was having a hard time breathing and all these things. And so, so at the recommendation of the doctor, we decided um, to put him to sleep yesterday, just a couple hours. And so we were next door at Axis Hospital, uh, four of us just bawling our eyes out. And it just reminds me of how broken and hurtful our world is. In the last 30 years that I've been your pastor, I have personally battled anxiety and insomnia from time to time. It's good now, but it's, I've struggled with it. I've had to contend with a heart condition for which I underwent a procedure a number of years ago, and it seems that that fixed it for good, but I still take meds for that. As you know, if you've been here, I was diagnosed with lung cancer for which I had surgery, and that seems to be okay now, but I still get CT scans to check to see whether it's okay, and so far, so good. Not too long ago, they found a, 
bunch of nodules in my thyroid, and they had to check that to make sure that was okay, and that was okay. And then just in the last couple weeks, just in the last couple weeks, doctors discovered that I have a small, non-malignant brain tumor right here. And it's nothing to worry about because it's small, and it's slow-growing, and it's not life-threatening. Uh, and so at this time, they're just going to watch it. No treatment necessary, no surgery necessary. All this to say that that's how life is, right? That, that life is just full of trials and struggles and pain and hurt. And, and, and that's why I'm so thankful for the resurrection because it's the one thing that gives me hope. Because one day, this body will give out. I don't know when. I hope I have a little more time, but one day this body will give out, and when this body gives out, I will see God, just like Job said, because of the resurrection. And I will be raised, because Jesus was raised. And I'll be free of this world, and I'll be free of pain, and that's the hope that God offers all of us, that you too will be free of your body and will be in the presence of the Lord. And, you know, actually, I'm, I'm really hoping, I know that one day this body will give out, I will die, and, but that won't be the end of me. And, and actually, I'm really hoping that, that I won't have to die, that Jesus will just come and take us home in that event called the rapture. And I hope that that will happen. And, and, and the way things are shaping up in the world today, that might happen real soon. And wouldn't that be great, right? But if he doesn't come right away, because we don't know when he'll come, but if he doesn't come right away, my body will give out one day and I will see God and that's why I have hope. So to wrap it up, Jesus was legit. He was really raised from the dead and the proof is an empty tomb which I saw from my own eyes. The proof is in the hundreds of witnesses who saw him alive and the proof is in the hundreds of millions of people and perhaps billions of people that he has changed, including me and hopefully including you. And here's the thing, if Jesus was real, if he was real, and if his resurrection was legit, can only mean one thing, that Jesus was God in human flesh. He was God in human flesh, and he came to planet Earth because he loves you, and he loves you, and he came to die on a cross for you, and to prove that he was God, he was raised from the dead. The only question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? And if you believe it, then you've got to act on it. You've got to act on it. You can't just come here and say, oh, that was a nice Easter service and come back next year. No, you've got to act on it. If you believe what you just heard today is true, then you've got to act on it because if you don't, then you will lose out on all the blessings that God has for you in this life and in the next. You will lose out. Just like if I didn't act on Yuki, if I believed her to be legit, if I didn't act on that, then I would have lost out and perhaps a whole lot of other people would have lost out on the funds that they might have received because of her. Well, as it turned out, I couldn't be absolutely certain that she was legit. She was a real person, but I don't know if the, other person, the person on the other line or the other end was legit so I didn't accept her offer. But do you know whose offer I accepted? I accepted God's offer. I accepted his offer to, to become one of his children. And it has changed my life. 
John 1.12, I've shared this with you before, but it's so appropriate today. It says, but as many as received him, to them God gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. See, God offers every one of us the opportunity to become his child. And when you become his child, you get all the blessings that come with being God's child. You receive the gift of eternal life. You receive forgiveness of all your sins. You receive the hope that one day when your skin is destroyed on this earth, you will see God. And in this life, even in the midst of so much brokenness, so much hardship, so much suffering, you will receive joy and peace and purpose and hope. And therefore, if you believe that he is real and he's legit, then you gotta act on it because you don't wanna miss out on that. And so I wanna invite you to receive God's offer to become one of his children. In fact, I wanna do something a little different today. I've got a question for all of you. For those of you, even in the Faith Center, even those of you who are, who are watching online, even those of you who are in the Honeywell venue, would you like to receive God's offer to become a child of his? In fact, I want to ask you, if you would like to receive his offer to become a child, I want you to raise your hand. And in fact, if you have already received his offer, you are a child of God, raise your hand and say, yeah, I'm a child of God. And if you want to receive his offer, raise your hand and say, I want to receive his offer. I want to become a child of God today. I hope every hand is raised, right? I hope every hand is raised because we want to be children of God. Keep your hands raised as I pray for you. Father, look at all the hands. Look at all the hands of people who are your children and people who want to be your children today. Lord, thank you so much. We thank you so much for your son, that he was real, that he existed. But not only that, he was legitimate. He was truly the son of God, God in human flesh, because he was raised from the dead. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for the witnesses. I thank you for the non-biblical evidence in addition to the biblical evidence that Jesus was real. So today, God, we want to tell you, we want to be your children. Help us to act on that now. Right now, Lord, we receive you. Come into our hearts. Make us the people you want us to be. Give us the gift of eternal life. Give us the gift of heaven so that one day, when our skin is destroyed, we will see you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Easter. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.